Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Thank you all for staying. You may be seated. In today's extra credit, we'll be covering how to make a character, but more of the kind of flavor-wise, not more of the statistics-wise that we did in the main episode. We have a wonderful guest here. Our guest here is Andrew from Softly Speaking Sanskrit, an actual play podcast. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing today? He's a part of a, a new partnership we've been doing with Softly Speaking Sanskrit. You've heard some of their ads in our episodes. It's probably going to be ridiculous and make no sense, but it's role-playing, so it's fun. <laughs> and if you like ridiculous and make no sense ads, then I think it very much reflects some of the uh, episodes you'll be listening to over at Softly Speaking Sanskrit. Pretty much every single one, yes. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So we're talking about characters with flavor. You have a lot of experience uh, creating characters with flavor, being as you've been a GM for many of the Softly Speaking Scan- Sanskrit campaigns. Uh, yeah, that, uh, and before that, you know, a good 15 years or so before we started recording and stuff. So, you know, I've gone through Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, World of Darkness, all those kind of games. Right. So lots of experience on that. So what we're saying here is don't listen to anything me and Christian say, because <laughs> anything he says is going to be just dripping with gold while you're dealing with bronze over here. <laughs> well, maybe. We'll see. So when you make your character, during the whole character process, it is going to benefit benefit you a lot to talk to your GM, because often they can provide the expertise you need to create your character. Like, hey, can I do that? I want you can just say to a, a lot of times you can just say to a GM, hey, I want to be a guy that do wields two swords and he'll tell you okay you need to take these feats and this is how you do it mm-hmm. or you say i want to have a character that has this little gimmick and he'll know in the actual story time uh how to play around that if you mm-hmm. never tell you, your gm he'll never know how to work around these things or your gm might eat more easily be able to integrate you into the story you put up forward a character idea and they'll say like hey focus on this aspect of the character because that might just come up during the story right build upon that more and if you ever have any really weird, unusual choices, you better run it by them. If you are a dual-wielding, double-pistol gunslinger, if you don't run that by your GM, I would not blame him for kicking you out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you need to run by everything, basically, with the DM. Because they have their own idea of the world and how they want all the characters to interact with each other. You doing this crazy thing could be a wild card that they're not ready for, doesn't fit their world, and they're going to have to say... Maybe you need to tone it down a little bit, or that's perfect for this campaign. But communication is definitely key. You definitely want that to happen before you're in the middle of playing. You don't want to (laughs) say, oh, this isn't going to fly. Oh, well, that's what I built. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay, well, don't do all these things. That's all I can do. And during this process, running it by your GM, you have to be prepared for your GM to shoot down any idea. They reserve that right, and although we don't like to, sometimes we see something, we hear something, we're like, that's really not going to fit, or that's not really... I don't like gunslingers in this campaign, no guns, something like that. Which is usually the case, I find, when you're starting out with a new group and a new DM. The more that you guys play together, the more you guys have a a kind of cohesive idea of how you guys like to play games. And so the longer you guys play together, the less often a DM's going to have to say no to something because you guys kind of all understand what's going on. It's just something that takes time. That's right. And and most experienced GMs want to say yes. That's like right. your main deals. You want to say yes. So if they say no, you, you know there's really something you got to change. Exactly. But let's get into it. I, I think there's two kind of main uh, ways of thinking that will inform how you make your character. And that is either A, your stats inform your character, or B, your character informs your stats. So if your stats inform your character, like I built, I chose a, a fighter and I wanted to make the most powerful fighter. I, I was, I'm a power gamer. I made the most powerful fighter I could get. And then and now I'm going to like, okay, now I'm going to make his character. I find the most 
satisfying, powerful characters who come from using this method. But if you use the other method where your character informs your stats, I found that your most satisfying role-playing characters come from this method, but they may not be optimal. A lot of people ask the question whether I should look at a class and try and build a character to what I want to be in that class, or should I come up with an idea first and then fit a class to that idea? And honestly, I don't think either is correct. I think they're both valid. <laughs> either is fine. Mm -hmm. I've done characters both ways, mm -hmm. and it's really just be what do you want to do for this campaign. A lot of times I found more often, since I'm more of a role-playing guy than a combat guy, more often I've, I have nine different characters in my head, and it's my, I finally get an opportunity to throw down a character on the stat, so I generally come from my character and forms my stat. I want to be, you know, a cannibalistic scarecrow-looking guy. I'm going to make a character that's a cannibalistic scarecrow-looking guy. All of a sudden now he's a butcher because I wanted that to happen. You did do that, didn't you? I did do that. I did do that. And let's just say, guys, it worked. That wasn't hyperbole. It that, was real. <laughs> that worked flawlessly. Flawlessly. I took out somebody's heart and somehow it made it into the main story. Of like, what was it, 20 people in that campaign? It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. We had like a 20 person campaign out of college. Never do, by the way. No, and somehow that, that fit no. into the main story. Wow, well, yeah, 20. That's that's a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> They had two GMs for it, but that's a thing for a different time. I would actually like to do a whole episode on can you possibly do and how would you do well a very large group. So there's a little preview for that. Don't do what we did. <laughs> we can tell you the knots. <laughs> so this is the point when you're looking at the stats either way. Either the stats inform the character or the character inform the stats. This is the point where you have to decide what your stats are going to mean for you. You know, you have these numbers. What exactly are they going to represent with your character? For instance, suppose you have a low charisma score, nine or eight. It means you have a penalty. Like if 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 Christian even, was a kid. Don't even handle <laughs> like, I couldn't do it fast <laughs> enough. He knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. So suppose your charisma is low, nine or eight. What exactly does that mean for your character? Does it mean that they're generally unlikable because they're rude? Does it mean that they're quiet and reserved and they don't talk to other people? Or maybe it means that they're awkward and people just don't like talking to them. You know, it could mean many different things. And you have to decide how that statistic represents your character. That's right. You don't have, if, if you're in seven, you're not Mr. Solving all the puzzles all the time. You, you got to give up a little something, which is kind of weird because usually like when you as a GM, and we can speak this from a GM perspective, I'd like to get your input on this one, Andrew. Mm -hmm. uh, when you design a puzzle, you usually design it for the players more than the characters. So what's your kind of, what would you say would be your, uh, your ruling on a character who has a low end score, who's not really supposed to be that smart, but the player is solving a puzzle? Sure. Uh, because I've had this come up a few times, actually. Um, and, and what I do, you know, you create this puzzle and you leave it so that there's, you know, at least, a, you know, three or four different ways that they can solve the puzzle. Um, because you know that no player is going to think exactly like the DM thinks. They're going to do something out there anyways. So if somebody has like a can I can like, I tell you how many times I've created a puzzle which I didn't have a solution for? I'm like, these guys have always 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 come up with a solution I'm not thinking of. They'll find they'll figure out something. And let me tell yeah. you, not once has that bit me. Not once have they not figured it out. You get you yeah. don't underestimate your players. Yeah, no, it's it's a great thing to do. You can just do that sometimes. But yeah, you can have you can have a character that's got you know a really low int that's kind of dumb or or can't figure things out in in this world, and they're going to come up with some really crazy ideas that could work you know they're so stupid that they work right so <laughs> we had uh we were playing i think it was D, &D might have been pathfinder and we had one guy who who designated himself as the master of plans like he was the tactician 
but he was really, really dumb character. So <laughs> we had to try and sneak around this cove in a boat, you know, and be silent about it. His, his thinking was, whenever I see a seal or an otter go in the water, it's perfectly silent. They don't make any splashes. We're going to go kill some seals, and then we're going to wrap their skin on the oars. That way our oars are silent. <laughs> Right, so it's it's a, it's a completely it's a completely feasible idea. Did it work out that well? No, but you know it gives them the the opportunity to create these fantastic ideas you never would have thought of. Right. No matter how you make your character in Pathfinder, make sure your character is good at something. Mm -hmm. And you know that could be a springboard for which your role play jumps off of. You know, it's much easier to role play someone who's good at, say, they're really good at combat. Well, then you know to shape the personality around that. Whereas if someone's not good at stuff, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to role play them. I find. One character I made uh, was, uh, was a fighter and wizard. And because I knew it was dual classing, I'm like, I'm not going to be the best at combat. I'm going to be okay. But the kind of things I could pick with a wizard, and then it uh, helped me be good during some of the role play because it allowed me to boost some of my skills. And then I put a ton of points into certain skills. We went on our whole skills episode. We talked about uh, with knowledge skills, you should, you should always be good at one knowledge and kind of spread that across the entire party. If you're five on everything, then you'll never be the guy to make the success because there'll always be somebody better at you. So it's good to pick something, at least, like you're saying, even in the skills uh, that you want to be good at. Right. Now, I wanted to add something to that that's kind of it's kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit. I mean, yeah, your character should be good at something, but I think that their poor stats can also enhance their character, too. If they have really bad athletics, if they have really bad swim or something, then that can be part of their character's personality. You know, they can they can use that to enhance their character and the story and whatever kind of adventure they're going on by saying, oh, I can't, you know, I can't do this because such and such and such in my past. Uh, they could have attitudes about it, like somebody's telling them, you know, just, you know, it's a quick swim across the lake, you know, and then they get infuriated. They start calling people names or, you know, getting really defensive about it because, they can't do it that well. John, John, can can you not swim, John? I could swim. I could do it. You push him in the water. Roll your character. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. Don't think about it as you know my stats. Only my stats that have bonuses to them are my character. You also should probably think about the negatives and what that makes your character do too. I definitely agree with that. I think as much as what your character can't do shapes them as much as what your character can do. Exactly. I just think it's important that your character can do something and can do it well because you are part of a party you are part of a story you need to do something to progress that story in some way listen you don't want to be the lump that we're going to talk about in a few episodes when we go over character player types it's important not to be that lump not only in person but as the as a, as a character yeah if you're the guy that never uh adds to anything you're gonna find people not wanting to play with you and you don't want any you don't want anyone to ask at any point like so why do we bring this guy along like what do you what do you do again <laughs> right yeah I mean, I guess you could say that in in game, like you know, right in character. Why do we bring you along? But saying it out of character. No, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> We're not emotionally stunted. We're <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple ways that I think you can spice up your character when we're talking about character creation and actual things on your stat, I mean, on your character sheet. And one of that is a template. Now, what a template is in Pathfinder is something that will change a couple things about your character. So if we're, think of it kind of like a race. When I pick cat folk, 
I get plus two to dex and wisdom or whatever the heck it really is. I, I better look that up so I can just... uh, Plus two dex, plus two charisma, minus two wisdom. How many cat folks you have in here? Don't ask that question. You know not to. <laughs> you know what? A lot of nerds play D&D and how many nerds are furries? Guys, it's only been, you know, a few minutes. I'm learning so much about you. <laughs> I'm like yeah. an encyclopedia sometimes. But like the old kind, like a book that no one wants to read. Plus two to dex, plus two to charisma, minus two to wisdom, and you just got a plus two bonus to being a nerd. (laughs) I already hit the cap a while ago, Caleb. (laughs) I'm hitting the diminishing returns at this point. Um, So you pick a cat folk, that changes your character. That gives you a plus two to dex, a plus two to charisma, a minus two to wisdom. And then there's a bunch of like special things about you now now you have cat's luck which allows you to re-roll a reflex saving throw you have low light vision a bunch of things would change about your character for being a cat folk or whatever race you pick when you pick a template it also changes a bunch of things for example if you picked a skeleton you don't have a con score anymore it's a con score of zero you die when you reach negative i forget when you hit zero hit points you don't go unconscious you just die oh you just die re-die you just re-die okay <laughs> you double die the worst kind of dying uh i think it's the same thing happened when i got married i died once and now when i die again i mean my double die uh, i love my wife 10 out of 10 when best thing ever happened to me was marry again um making your character a skeleton could be interesting you better gosh darn run that by your gm like we talked about because uh that's a big thing not having a con score is not thing pcs usually do you could be a fungal creature or a worm that walks or a werewolf. Now, two of those I picked because I actually thought were interesting. One was uh, Worm That Walks was super cool. Like, it's the best thing ever if you're into Cthulhu, which, Mr. Right Now on Skype, I can see you have Kraken al- uh, alcohol back there. Well, there was was some Kraken rum? on there, yes. Yeah. Was that rum? Yeah. Bam! Who knew his alcohol but doesn't drink it? This guy. <laughs> uh, it's a really Cthulhu. You're made. You're literally made of worms. And it's talking about when a really evil wizard dies. He, like, just won't really die, and he just, like, infects the worms at his grave and just kind of reconstitutes. I'm like, that's super cool. But when you pick Worm That Walks, you become so outrageously powerful that if, like, if you look at the mods at rules for, like, having characters that aren't quite normal PCs, it's like, yeah, don't level up for, like, nine more levels because <laughs> you just got all this really cool stuff. Uh, but that's definitely something very interesting flavor-wise when you meet a party and you're a bunch of worms because you were a super evil wizard. I mean... Just, just by that, I told you just that a worm that walks a super evil wizard. You now just have a, you just given yourself a feed of how to create a character. Now I have now have inspiration. I didn't know what character I was going to make when I picked worm that walks. I already got something fed to me. I was super evil wizard. Why was I super evil? What did I do? Andrew, you have a lot more experience. So I want to see, did you have anyone ever use a template or did you let anyone use a template before on the characters? Um, well, okay. So one of the things that we just ran a while ago, Blood and Thunder, right? It's like a rock and roll fantasy kind of hybrid thing. One of our characters didn't want to use the basic character archetypes that I laid out. So he said, I want to do something special with a template. So what I did was I ended up making uh, a golem template or a ninja template. Basically the same thing where because you're this uh, person, you have X amount of power or chi that you can use per day to use all your moves. Once you're done with those, you basically power down. Can't use any more spells. So we have that template and then... Everything is like, you know, humans get a bonus to, I think, strength or constitution or something like that. Elves get a a bonus to dexterity. Or if they're hybrids, so they're like, if they're a half-human, half-gnome, then they get bonuses from some of those. And they also get an extra bonus for being a hybrid. So uh, I think a half 
what did I have it as? Uh, dwarf and a dwarf and something makes it so that you just can't be knocked over. You're you're so small and intact and stout that you can't be knocked over. So that's kind of template things. I usually um, avoid using those kind of templates just because, um, for at least for our group, we have enough um, experience in creating characters that we don't need the extras for it, and we don't use a lot of combat. So those kind of bonuses get swept under the rug after you make a character. I'd say I just say be careful with templates. Uh, they do have the potential to be very, very powerful. Yes, absolutely. I personally, I don't think I'd ever let a PC touch Worm that walks whatsoever. Yeah, gotcha, yeah. But I think some things like Werewolf, uh, Undead, they might be possible to implement. I would probably personally, like, this is why we say talk to your JM. I would probably let you do it, but I'd probably mess around with it a bit. Mm-hmm. I think using your charisma instead of your constitution is kind of weird for Undead, so I'd probably mess around with that a bit. Mm-hmm. And if it's something you really want to do and it's something that... You know, you're going to work on to make sure it's balanced, then yeah, I would totally let you do that. Yeah, and I think there's some that are more acceptable than others. Werewolf. One of your players might get bit by a werewolf. Right. So it is rather feasible that partway into playing someone becomes a werewolf. So things like that, if you want to start out as a werewolf, isn't so bad. Skeleton, I don't think there's any spells that turns your player to a skeleton and lets him retain control of his character. I actually did do a campaign. I was a complete jackass and I was a werewolf for somebody who was a first time GM. That was fantastic. But jokes aside, I, I picked a werewolf and it, it allowed me to like be interesting. I wanted to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm a one note kind of guy. All my characters have dual nature. I have a freaking in my drawer right here. I've got a two face coin because I think he's the best. So all my characters only have two personalities. I'm like werewolf. What better way to have two personalities? My werewolf personality has one personality and my uh, human form has another. So I picked werewolf and. Doing that when it comes to kind of the character creation we talked about in the earlier in the, in the in the main episode here when we're going back to statistics. Now all my statistics are changed. So knowing that from the start, I was like, well, I'm going to go all natural weapons all the time. Pick all the feats for claw attacks. Pick all this stuff. And then there was even a feat that let me make claw attacks while I wasn't a werewolf. Uh, so there's different things you can do when you when you go off the bat, when you start off saying, I'm going to start off with this template. But you both are super right. It is crazy difficult to balance it you better be good at that and you better be the person who is being the template better be experienced enough and it better be someone you trust to not take advantage of that because if you know hey look in the end no matter what we do werewolf is a little more powerful than most other creatures at his level you got to know that don't don't take advantage of that there's a lot of cheese you can do don't do that cheese and if you trust your player and he's experienced he won't do that but if he's a new player who's just gonna cheese the cheese the world maybe say no to him for the template right i'd also like to add on you know if we're using the templates like you're talking about with fungals and worms at walk and stuff um if if it was me dming it i would say don't use this as your player character um, when something happens, like say you die or something, or you get captured, then you can become this and you're kind of more a DM's right hand where they'll do hmm. stuff for you to progress the plot, but they're not going to be part of the party anymore because they're that much more powerful, because they're that much more you know weird than a normal character. So we're talking about having more powerful uh, characters. That kind of segues well into the next kind of thing you can do to spice up your character. And that's go in the bestiary and say, I like this guy. I want to be this guy. Monster PCs. This is a lot more prevalent than I think using templates. And so much that there's actually rules. There's rules for being a monster uh, PC. Some of the monster races have even been, you know, turned into races from the bestiary. I know off the top of my head, Android originally was something that was only in the bestiary. And then Paizo was like, all right, we'll just actually flesh out stats and give them some racial abilities. And now it's an actual race you can pick. So you're right. It's definitely not far out there. 
if you actually look in all the Beast Jerry, the core rulebook came out, it had all the races in it. Then uh, when the Beast Jerry came out, it'd have essentially new races you could be. Uh, Kitsune, I think, was one of the ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Changeling, maybe. And then when the Advanced Race Guide came out, then they just used those ones from the Beast Jerry and made it into an actual. Give me, give me a second, guys. Talk about My Little Pony or something. I I know of My Little Pony, but I don't watch it, so I don't know. I think that's for the best. I mean, it's a, it's a big thing now, right? With people our age. Uh, actually, thing with the kids, right? Actually, <laughs> yeah. The internet. There was a couple of people in college who were bronies, and it kind of creeped me in. Like, if you keep it to yourself, I don't care. But like, he like went full into it, and it was weird. Like, it's like religion. Listen, it's cool if you're into it, just don't push it on me. Right. Like, you never made me like say grace before we ate, Caleb. No, or no, no, like no. That. <laughs> but let's pray before this podcast. <laughs> No, I'm into such weird crap that I, I, I have to, unless I'll be a hypocrite unless I go, it's okay to be a brony. <laughs> if I wasn't, though, I'd be yelling at him. Yeah, so if you want to be uh, Ursula from uh, my, uh, my Little Mermaid. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts, right? That's, that's, the, that's the source material. Right? Correct. If you want to be Ursula from, from Kingdom Hearts 2, two specifically. <laughs> Um, they really should put that like in a movie. Wouldn't that be great? Like, she'd be a good villain for a movie. They should think about that. Hire us, <laughs> Disney. Um, then you find that guy in the Beast Cherry, and then you go through these rules, and now you are Ursula. I feel the same way as this as templates, although I think this is usually a bit more acceptable. You still have to be careful with this. It can be difficult to balance. You don't want to overshadow other players with that. But it does give you a lot of room to flush out your character. I have yet to do it, but I've always wanted to make a Minotaur guy. So there's some that are just easier than others. Minotaur is a low CR, so he's easier to do that with. Right, yeah, it, it is a lot easier than a template, too, because their stats are more in tune with a player character's level than with a template. Have you had any players ever be a monster for the game? Not that I can think of, no. Hmm. Um, yeah, most of the time, see, yeah, most of our people always want to just be humans, which people think, that's kind of boring, but I guess, you know, you hear our stuff and it's not so boring. That's Which, true. Well, I don't like. I do not like that outlook, and I have to go on a little rant here. That people don't want to play like your boring human sword and board fighter, and I'm always like, why? None, literally, none of you have ever played anything like that. How can you know it's boring? It's a trope, but that doesn't mean that you can't make it original. I um actually find that when I play games like Skyrim or something where you can you can be whatever you want. I, I know people who are like, I always pick the girl character because if I got to see my butt the whole time, I want to see a girl's butt. Uh, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense to me. I should pick. But as soon as I get into the character creation screen, I'm like, human, male, bump. My name is my name is Caleb. <laughs> and uh, is there an Italian race here? I'm not sure. Uh, because I find that I want to be that person in the game. So I find that a lot of times when you pick the human, you can you can kind of really put yourself into that. And really, because there's a lot of fun being, what if I was really here in this situation? You can do that more analogous. It's more of a na- more analogous if you do that with a human. Right. So there's also something called story feats, which was added with an ultimate campaign. Oh, that's why I hate that book. <laughs> no. what, what what's coming out of ultimate campaign? It's downtime rules. Oh, yeah. I want to. I want to own a shop. <laughs> uh, an ultimate campaign. You do have new story feats, which are these really interesting things where you get a sizable thing. Like there's one that gives you spell resistance, which we know only really comes from like. The only class I can think of was the Arcanist, which was recently released. It's really hard to get spell resistance. And high-level monks. And high-level monks. But you get it just for a feat if you pick a story feat. But the story feat has something, a blurb about it, 
that makes it interesting, like makes it story, what you get for just picking the feat, and then what you get if you accomplish a goal related to this feat. So let's give an example. So let's talk about Eldritch Researcher. I believe, Christian, you had this in one of your campaigns. Yes, actually, my DM at some point in the story, like halfway through, he's like, you know what? I'm going to give each of you one story feat. He picked out one for each of us and said, I think this fits you. You could take it if you want it. I think it will add something to your character. And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll take that. I was playing a wizard slash cleric of Nethys, the god of magic. And this had to do with magic. So I was like, sure, yeah, I can do that. So just taking the feat, all I got was a small bonus of spellcraft, which was already my goal in the party. I was already the person that did all the spellcraft checks. So it just gave me another small bonus to that. But if I happen to complete the goal of the story feat, which is create a new spell of six level, which literally means that you sit down and you write down a spell, make it up on your own and ask your DM if it's okay if I can put, use this in the which game. Which is cool just for the heck of it. I never even thought of that. Yeah. And if I get to create a new spell of six level or more, then I just get a whole new benefit, which increases the spell DCs for any spell that I've created. So cool thing. Get it, what you get for just having the feet. And then when you accomplish cool thing, yay, super awesome, cool thing. I'm a yeah. master smith with my words. I haven't, I have, I've never done story feet stuff before, but it sounds really interesting because it sounds like just having those feats can enhance your character and side plots too. Mm-hmm. Just like you're saying with that research is you sit down and you make a new spell. You, you, I'm not sure if this was when you GM'd or not, but there was one where you had like achievements almost. Um, that was Paul that did that one. That was Paul. Okay. But you were in right. that, right? Yes. Uh, those, that kind of, uh, is the kind of a similar thing where here is these things I want you to accomplish. And by giving you things I want you to accomplish, I'm kind of almost guaranteeing you're going to be going along with me in the story. You're going to be working with me. Want to talk a little about the achievements and how they affected your game? Uh, it, yeah, it was, it was a new and interesting thing that we had because even though a lot of our achievements that we had seemed very menial, you know, very small things, it ended up driving our characters into new paths that we didn't originally think we would do. I think one of mine was I was supposed to kill people um, by with throwing objects at them, right? So like throwing daggers or things. Uh, but because my character was awful at everything he did, I instantly lost all my throwing knives, and I had to go find like a meat tenderizer and try and throw it at somebody. <laughs> I had to go find a bar stool and throw it at people, and it was just my goal, you know, to try and do this to to show off to the other characters that were my bigger brothers that I could be, a, you know, a, as good a combatant as them. Right. It's kind of a, and it almost becomes like a fun, uh, without that achievement, that wouldn't have been like a fun reoccurring thing that happened in the episode that we were listening to. It's like, oh, he's throwing another thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I like them. I like ideas like these achievements and the stories feats because it gives you a goal, which gives you a reward that isn't part of the main story. You know, sometimes you might get a little tired of the same story again, but now you have another way to get a I've payoff watched, or something you I've do. I've watched Lost 372 times and <laughs> I will watch it 373rd. Well, I said a sir. story, Caleb. Not, oh! <laughs> <laughs> not just each episode how many more questions can we get, leave unanswered there's a lot um there's a thing in warhammer 40k there's a um role-playing version of that and in that when you start off your character you have like three things you get to pick from like you're determined to convince one character that he's weak you're not good at this but you're going to prove that you are and then you pick like all right so which character uh i'm gonna pick johnny okay now john you're so now you you 
you insert already relationships to have with other characters just by character creation. It's interesting Warhammer does. And all those things kind of fit in the same category, I think. And I think they're all very interesting. I think Shadowrun also does something like that. I think it's every session you pick, like, your goal for that session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any of the stuff you run have anything like that, Andrew? Um, Shadowrun did when I did Shadowrun. Um, most of the stuff, though, that I've run, I haven't seen that, I, you know, come across. I think it's... Uh, it's limited, which is sad, because it is a great tool to use as a DM. But a lot of people don't use that in their books. I think, you know, I think they're just trying to make their book as generic as they can so anybody can access it um, just to learn how to play and not necessarily keep going and enhancing things. I think, actually, um, you should use this, limit your use of these things, because, like, just listening to some of your podcasts, your actual play podcasts are so interesting. Your characters don't need these additional motivations to find something to do. You're not trying to constantly come on, please guys, go do something. You don't have to spoon feed them. They're always finding something to do, even to the point of sometimes ruining the story. (laughs) Not ruining the story, but taking you off a direction you didn't want to go. Yeah, they'll completely derail everything. Which is fine. Um, But yeah, I do agree that you should use it very sparingly. Um, Maybe if you do have a few sessions where nothing's getting done, then you can hand these out because that'll help reinvigorate the person and, and think about their character in a different well, a different light that they didn't think of before. In, in our campaign that's on uh, the network, Trailblazers, I mean, maybe you can't tell from editing. I'd have to listen back to see if you can. But there's a lot of times where I just go, what do you guys want to do? And then I'm just sitting there for 30 seconds while they're blank. I'm like, you guys are in an open world of anything. You can do all this stuff. And you're like, can we skip the day? Sure. Fine. Let's we'll see. skip. Can we essentially ask, can we skip to the next thing you'll give us? Some Know your players. Know your GM. Some of your players, some players that you play with, some groups that you play with need to be spoon fed a little more. That's kind of derogatory. Uh, just need more things fed to them than other players who like don't give them anything because they're just going to go off. You'll you'll ruin the fun and force them to do things they already want to do. Things just your players. The the other thing too is you can also sometimes you can give the players too many options and then they're just sitting there thinking, well, I don't know what to do. I know that I should be doing this. I know that I need to do this. This sounds cool. This sounds fun. I don't know. And so they're just kind of stuck there. Another thing you can have is traits. Now traits is. The thing that every character gets two of, you can pick feats to get even more of. And uh, when we went over the main episode, we went over how you can only pick a certain out of certain categories. But these really, they're written to be story, uh, to add character to your character. Right. They're not like, they don't just say, you get a plus two AC to whatever. It's just like, you were born and bred on the streets. and You get a plus two AC to unarmed combat because you've been beat up in the streets all your life. Well, some of them are very simple bonuses, but they usually have a very, very specific reason as to why that was. Like, the reason you're good at punching people is because you were bullied as a kid. Right. So you're you're good at being in fist fights. It usually has a very small bonus, but with a lot of flavor behind it that you can act out. There's, it's a springboard to add personality to your character. Speaking of personality, <laughs> hey I think something that I've seen a lot, and I would love to hear if you two have also seen this a lot, but is that pe- people's first characters often reflect their real personalities combined with the you know, f- fantasies of things they've always wanted to be. Absolutely, 100%. Every first character I've ever seen is like that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of them, most of them, I'd say, and I do like it that way. I think that is the best way to start with a character if you're not used to role-playing games. Right. I have a I have a guy in Trailblazers, David, has pledged to me that he goes, if I die, I'm not playing anymore. I, I cannot be a lizard person. I can't do that. 
I can only be me. In, in, in Trailblazers, if you guys don't listen to it, he's a person that's been taken from our world. So he is himself. So some people are just like that. Like you said, it's a good introduction that kind of opens you up. And then I find, uh, which is equally true, is that second people's second character is like the opposite of what their first character was. If I was a righteous paladin, then my second character is a guy who hates everybody and hates everything. And I love killing because I'm a killer, killing, killing, kill. kill, kill. <laughs> I'd like to take, like, for one of my first characters, I was like, I'm going to take one of my personality aspects and just change it a bit. Either blow it out of proportion or change it. I, my first, One of my first characters was a bard, and I was like, okay, what if it was me, but I was, like, a communications major instead of a computer <laughs> science major? So it was me, but very flamboyant, essentially. I would have liked it better if you were a computer science major. You have, like, a computer strapped to your <laughs> chest made of wood. Love it. You have a typer. <laughs> Just invented it. <laughs> would you say there's negatives to players playing themselves when they start off? We talk about there's obviously benefits. Is there negatives? If they're too close to themselves, they might take, take things personally. Which you, oh, you really don't want. You if are right. A healthy separation of out-of-game, right. like, things that are happening to the character and things that are happening to the player, you need a healthy separation of that, and it does blur the line a little bit. I've seen that. I've seen players get mad at each other, and new players were not mad at each other, not characters, because the insult of the character, well, that person was that character. So, yeah, you are absolutely correct. All right. Yeah, I would also like to add that when a player um, uses a lot of their own, you know, personality in there, that... Everything that they start to do starts to become very repetitive because it's the same thing that they would do in real life. And they, they tend not to think outside the box as much if they're too close to their own character. And so we're telling you things because there's things that you can take note of that you don't do. So you can totally be yourself, but try, hey, let's not be a one-note guy. Hey, if they make fun of my character, it's not me. It's my character. It does kind of negatively affect some role-playing aspects because we're in a world without magic, so the way we'd react to certain things is different than what someone in character in that time period would react. It would be a lot different. Right. Right, so one of the things that we try and do on our podcast to counter this is we have our own different kind of philosophy on characters and personalities and how they work. Whereas, you know, you, you look at like a class, right, in like a traditional game like Pathfinder, and somebody's a hunter. You say, oh, I'm a hunter, so I have to go do this, 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 this. And for us, it's more of, yeah, you're a hunter, but that doesn't dictate everything that your character's personality is. Right, because you look mm-hmm. at real life situations, you say, "Oh, uh, you know, I, I clean pools for a living." Right, twenty-four-seven, <laughs> you're not going to be talking about pools and chemicals <laughs> and cleaning and stuff like that. That's just one aspect of your life, and you kind of have to start to create this entire world outside of what you do as a job, too. I will rule this world on a uh, on set of an iron throne, an inflatable throne with a pool <laughs> with a pool fil- uh, filter as my scepter on this the day of days because I am the champion of champions. <laughs> That's right. actually, that goes along with something that I do in my games that I say that, you know, the name of your class for most of the classes isn't an actual construct of the world. Like someone doesn't run around going like, hi, my name's Christian. I'm a rogue. <laughs> like they, they, most people don't actually say that. It's just a set of mechanics and you're still just a person with your own beliefs and things you do. Only exception to that's wizard. You, I can't think of another exception. I can't right. think of one. But they could call themselves a mage or a saven right. or some magical magic saven. user. Yeah. But you're right. Right, yeah. But I, a lot of the time, it, it shouldn't dictate how you act. And like you were saying, uh, I have seen, you know, some newer players that because they're a rogue, all they do is they go around and say, I'm going to do something that a rogue would do. I'm going to, you know, I'm going <laughs> to oh, be gosh, roguish. I'm going to pick pockets wherever we go. I, right, yeah. Because a person who's who 
is a, you know a real life person wouldn't just go around and do that you know they'd have a life and then when they need some money maybe they'll go pickpocket something maybe they'll try and con somebody but it's not always i'm going to pickpocket i'm going to go backstab this person right now it's what i do for kicks yuck yuck and actually yeah. i'll talk more about that when we go over our characters that we've made because my character was a rogue that, that was his class but i didn't really do many roguish things i was on a good path i helped the party i never did anything like steal things or you know, anything like that. And one of my players thought I was going to steal something from him. And I was, like, personally offended because, like, mm. when have I done any... Like, I know my class name is Rogue, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to steal your stuff if you let me do this. How dare you, sir? Mm. And yeah, then is. and then you stabbed him in the back. <laughs> back attack. Roll 5d6. Yeah. It's, it's all that out-of-character metagaming that every DM hates. Somebody sees, oh, you're a Rogue, so I know that you're going to do these horrible things. And it's like, no... No, I'm just I'm just a guy who does these who does roguish things. Rogue has um, a really bad stigma yeah, about it. <laughs> right. Poor but rogue. you think of like Han Solo, he's a rogue in the Star Wars universe, right? right. He's yeah. not a bad guy. He's just charming swashbuckler kind of fellow. Mm-hmm. The other thing is when I see um, a lot of newer characters, when they put too much of themselves in a character, a lot of the time it's because it's this grandiose wish fulfillment that they have, right? So they want to be the leader that goes around and kills this entire army. They want to, you know, slay as many dragons because it, for them, it's this power wish fulfillment that they don't get in real life. And then when they screw up in the game, then they just get upset because their wish fulfillment failed, basically. Right. So you have to try and keep yourself, uh, I guess, keep a large amount of your personality out of your character when you can to avoid that kind of wish fulfillment failure. Right. When you guys create a character and you go about creating their personality, like what steps do you take? Where do you draw inspiration from when it comes to the personality of the character? Well, there's 12 steps. First, you say, hi, my name is Caleb, and I role-play games. Is this like an AA meeting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know the 12 steps? No. Well, that's because you're not an alcoholic. Uh, <laughs> then, you, then you have Recovering, guys. Prayer. I'm recovering. I'm recovering. Yeah, you've got the serenity prayer, and then you can start going on to more steps. That's right. That's right. I track down people that I've hurt in the past and apologize. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But not really. Andrew, where do you start off when it comes to personality? When it comes to personality for my characters, the first thing I I think of is I don't even look at uh, the stats that I've rolled or the character class that I am. I just think of a character that I think would fit good in this universe that would that would be fun to play um so i started thinking about uh all of his different kind of personal backstory like was i married before um Mm -hmm. did i go to school did i you know what kind of jobs have i had in the past um you know for software so you can sanskrit stuff too it's you know what's my sexual history you know how many partners have i had because we go over (laughs) that kind of stuff a lot um so we we talk you know you think about kind of every aspect of what what a uh, what makes a person you know from birth to this point on right so how were your parents um were they kind were they abusive were they neglectful that kind of thing school education friendship you kind of you kind of have to think of everything that this person has gone through up to this point to make a character that's how i see it as I, I like that approach to it because a lot of people tend not to look at the background of the character like that. They tend not to think of the character as anything before they got a level in whatever class they are. Right. Like they tend to think like, okay, so I'm a rogue. What does that mean? Where do I, I start from there? Where I think, like you said, it's important to start before that. You were a person long before you were an adventurer. How do those 
Uh, how did what happened to you before that shape who you are now? Mine's always, almost always, what is my motivation right now? Like, what is my core motivation? And uh, so, um, for example, I had a character uh, who I built. His main flaw was the ends always justify the means, period. And then so there was a point where he fell in love. So if anything threatened her, the means was I have to keep her safe. Mm-hmm. So if I have to kill this guy and then I have to kill his children to make sure they don't avenge him by going after my wife, that's what I got to do. Oh, his children are babies? Doesn't matter. So his ends justify the means. Now, everything that happened, even romance, was affected by that. Right. And that's a perfect example of... You guys like how edgy my characters are? <laughs> Did I mention their long, dark hair that falls in front of their eyes? <laughs> yeah. But that's a perfect example of because you created this this character's background and history those backgrounds affect how you play that class now too so that it's not the same as every other you know whatever class it was something that i think would go along well with drawing personality from that character is your alignment in pathfinder now i've always said that your character's action should influence your alignment not the other way around but you usually have a good idea of what alignment you think your character should fall in like your guy you were talking about and just by the mean what what do you think he would be that would make him a maybe chaotic good okay i don't know help me out here i'm not I don't, it's your what, you, what do you think with what you said i mean is it Ends justify the means no matter what. Mm-hmm. That sounds to me like potentially lawful evil. Okay. I would agree with lawful evil. All right. Because you, you're setting your own set of rules that you abide by to do whatever. Sometimes it's going to be morally seen as evil. But it's your own set of rules that you follow. Right. Okay. Um, going back to the rogue I made, his alignment when I made him was true neutral. And although I didn't try to let that influence my actions too much when I created the character, I decided, like, that's where he falls within the alignment because he doesn't believe strongly in one way or another. He's kind of just going with what is happening at the moment. He lives in the moment. He doesn't think too far ahead, too far back. And that gave me a lot of ways to develop the personality from there. Whereas, you know, if someone's chaotic evil, it's very clear as to, like, where their personality should be shaped, what they believe in, things like that. In a, a book that was recently released at the time of this recording, Pathfinder Unchained, they actually have a different way for you to do alignment. I may have mentioned it in a previous episode, but it's something I think is very interesting, which is you have the two things, the, the chaotic, neutral, lawful, and then there's the good, neutral, evil. Yep. Bam, got it. First try. <laughs> no help from anybody. Uh, and so you have this. <laughs> I had cue cards the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Those two scales are sliding scales. So when you do something lawful, you get like a point towards lawful. And then once you accrue like three points, you move up on the lawful scale. So say if you start out neutral, neutral, you do a bunch of lawful things. Well, then that scale, lawful and the evil, goes up a tick towards lawful. And if you do something uh, chaotic, it goes a tick towards chaotic. And so you can, your, your, your alignment adjusts with your character as he as your character progresses if your character progression which i love to see in in uh, stories the alignment will reflect that so if you start out neutral evil you can change as a person and your alignment will reflect that and i like that because it's something you could tell the player like hey what you just did that's a tick toward evil and that gives the player a moment to stop and reflect and think is that what i want my character to be is this you know am i going to go along with this is this what i want for my character or should i reevaluate my actions and change the personality and their motivations as according and mo- like moments like that are great to see in the game when someone sits down and goes is this what i want to become wow that's like one of the best things you want to see happen in your characters yeah more than run and stab loot like <laughs> as long as it's beyond that i'm happy now there's some little things some character quirks that don't have a big bearing on your personality or motives 
but they can be kind of like fodder for players or even GMs on how to kind of like take your character and do things with them. So just to give some examples for each of us, uh, some simple things that your guy could be addicted to drugs. I had a character whose name was Guy, and it was a stupid little thing where he was addicted to a drug that gave you an initiative bonus. I forget what it was. And like you, like you, you had to get it by a wound. He would cut his tongue, suck on the drug, and then right before a combat all the time. And then it became like a thing where finally a player caught me. No one knew it for like 13 sessions. I just talked to my GM about it, and then they figured it out. And like, just, that's interesting, but it really didn't affect much. I, I really like these because um, they tend to be, like you said, they don't have a huge bearing on the character. But they tend to be things that people will remember about the character. One of mine was I made one of my characters who just had a bad sense of humor. He would make not funny jokes. That was part <laughs> of his personality. And, you know, it didn't give a, me a lot to work with, but it happened and it was something people would remember about my character. Guys, I'm worried about this. Hey, worried. I'm <laughs> I can't even make the dad joke because I'm afraid I'd be infected by dad and have to go build a shelf or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and like for one of mine, uh, my character felt that like he wasn't being taken seriously ever in his life. And he felt that he didn't contribute to his party uh, enough. Uh, so what he decided to do was whenever a group would kill bandits or cobbles or anything like that, he would place one of his daggers in an already dead corpse and claim it as his. <laughs> so he could be like, hey, this, this is my kill. I helped. I, I helped the party guys. <laughs> right. Good. So it, it didn't it didn't affect anything in the combat or anything, but it, it affected his character. And I assume other people would remember that about your character. Like when they oh, ask absolutely. you about your character, like the guy that put daggers in people. Right. I just learned it. and I'm never going to forget it. It'll be in the next episode of Trailblazers. Right. Uh, uh, there's a character on a wonderful YouTube show called it's also a Twitch show called Roleplay D&D with It Me JP is the guy who runs it. A great guy. You should know him in a bunch of communities like StarCraft. Um, one of his characters, uh, or one of the characters he played with, always ordered apple juice instead of alcohol at bars. There was no like real reason for it. I don't think it was ever like discovered, <laughs> oh, he was hurt by an, uh, his abusive father back then. Never. None of that. It was just always a thing that happened. Uh, for another one for me was that same character that had a bad sense of humor. Uh, whenever he got into an argument, he would always concede to whoever he was arguing with. He would never push his point too hard, and he was always submissive in arguments. And that was just a small thing that, you know, it slightly influenced my actions, and it gave me something to remember the character by, but it wasn't like a huge deal. It wasn't like influenced by anything. It was just who he was. We were trying to decide whether or not we should start a riot in the city, and I was like... As you do, as you do. <laughs> and my character was, um, I think it was chaotic good. He was like, I don't really think we should start a riot. Like, I don't think the men's really justify the means there. And then someone else was like, no, yeah, we should totally do it. He's like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, stand your ground, man. Yeah. One of the characters, when I was running Shadowrun, one of our characters decided what he wanted to do was... He just wanted to make practical jokes all the time. Like, he was the getaway driver, but he he decided, I'm going to put whoopee cushions in every seat in our van. <laughs> or I'm going to put a giant magnifying glass on the top of our car so it gets really hot inside and people get upset. You, you park it in an alleyway, so like, oh, no, our car's out here. Oh, guys, I'm here. Don't do that, John. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a little quirk. Yeah. So those are funny little things. Like you said, it's often memorable. Uh, now, there's different things that motivate your characters. I mean, a little earlier we touched on that where, like I said, like my flaws motivate some of my characters. But, you know, like I as a GM, I encourage my players to bring in something into the game from day one. And it doesn't have to be something big. Just something that you are working towards. So kind of like if we ever have like a downtime, it's like, I want to go do this. Um, sometimes it doesn't show up until, you know, 27 sessions in. Sometimes it shows up in the first three hours of play. But uh, let me just try to think of one. Um, when I first did one of the groups at our college, one of the big groups, 
uh, I played a merfolk who had met a human girl and then was just trying to find her again. And it like that totally wasn't the main story. The main story was something completely different that I followed with. But every once in a while, I would try to look for her, or I'd say, "Hey, when I was in this town, did I did I find her?" Just stupid little motivations. Just kind of give give your players some more investment that they brought into the story. You know, them going back to that whole thing of your characters creating the story with you. Something this can be tied to your backstory, like with my merfolk guy. It was part of his backstory uh, or a goal that you have. I want to I want to own a blacksmithery at some point. You know, you kind of you can work towards that. Like that can even like permeate. Like every time you you defeat somebody, like I want to grab all their armor and weapons, and you put it in the cart. That way, one day you can open up a shop. You know, things like right. that. And and I want to add into um, from from a DM's perspective, though, what I like to do for characters, um, which you know, after a while they they get used to it, and you don't have to remind them anymore. Is you say when you bring in your character, I want a, a short term goal, a mid term goal, and your your end goal, right? So what's something that you want to do in this session? What's something you want to do a few sessions down the road? And, you know, when we're finished with this campaign, what do you want your character to have finished? That way they've got all these different things that they're trying to think about and and try to accomplish. It's going to also help fill out their character a little bit more, give it a little bit more flavor. That's nice. I like that short term, mid term, long term. That's really good. And what I think is important with motivations is that at least one of your motivations should be somehow aligned with the story that keeps your character going in the story. I think you should always have one motivation that is pushing you forward in what's happening in game. I think it's the beauty of the short and the midterm is that those can change because those exactly. have to change. New new ones will come up. Absolutely. So if that that the wizard who you're facing after like blew off your arm, I've got a new midterm goal <laughs> to kill that wizard and chop off his arm before I kill him. Yeah, well, yeah. Wizard arms fuse into regular people's bodies all the time. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you can bring it, bring it to a blacksmith and they'll hammer it into your sword and make it wizardly strong. You're not, now you're Ash from Evil Dead. Yeah. <laughs> now, something, one of the simplest motivations for a character I've ever heard of, yet one of the most rich, was our barbarian who wanted his kids to grow up smarter than he did. So he wherever he would find a book and their adventures, he would grab it and put it in his pack. Mm-hmm. No matter what it was, he found a book, I'm giving this to my kids. I like that's crazy. Like that is a, such a simple concept that I think is so deep, and it's something that's instantly identifiable. How quick was that that I said that? And now I bet your minds think of what's his family like. How did how did this bar- crazy stupid barbarian get married all of a sudden, right? Uh, so you can instantly now you have a springboard for your character motivation. Like I said earlier, is one of the biggest ways I create my characters. So the next thing you have to keep in mind is that this is really all you need to create your character. You know, you got your background, your personality, and things like that. Going into the story, though, you're not done. Your character is going to change and they're going to grow as the story progresses. No GM is perfect and they're not perfectly tailoring the story towards your character. Your party might make decisions, you guys might do things that will ultimately ending up changing your character and you have to be prepared for that. Right. So, yeah, exactly. When, you, when you're making a character, you know, you should have some investment in it, but... Don't get really hurt if your DM says something or another character says something that adds to your personality or character's background that you aren't expecting or something changes because then that's just going to create a huge argument at the table. Mm-hmm. It's going to it's gonna ruin, you know, an entire night's worth of stuff if you're that attached to your character. Right. So, you, yeah, just be flexible with your character. You know, have a very good idea of what you want to do, but also be okay with some of it changing. Right. If you really want to open that blacksmithery, but that's really not the way the game is going to go, don't freak out. Be willing to change. And I think it's always important that your character should be changed by the story, because if they 
some change in their personality or their motivations happens because of the story, then your character is now more invested in the story than before. Right, yeah. I mean, look at it from a real-life perspective, right? Everybody's life doesn't go exactly how they planned, no matter what you do. You gotta kind of, you gotta learn to roll with the punches and change what your life goals are when something out of out of nowhere happens, right? Natural disaster, financial issues, something like that. Your life changes. You gotta figure it out. It's the same with characters. Right. You shouldn't have like a character arc like already in mind when you go into the story. You right. can't. You can't think like <laughs> I'm gonna go in as the farmer and then I'm gonna go slay a dragon and then I'm gonna get into the king's court and from there I'm gonna fight demons. You can't have like this grandiose idea of how your character is going to play out, that's the whole point of the story. Things are going to happen in the story your character might not agree with, might not want to go along with, and it might end up changing them. And you should always develop a character so that that's possible. You shouldn't make a character very rigid, very strict in how you think they should operate. Just to give an example, back to my rogue, when I originally made the character concept, my idea was that like he was really dirty and poor. Like He would wear a really dirty like burlap cloak. And that was just like his visage. That's how he looked wandering around. But very early in the game, we came into a bunch of wealth. We got a bunch of money. And from that point on, like, it didn't make sense for my character to stay dirty and poor because he was no longer poor and he had a reason to go clean up. I'd so. like this burlap sack back off. <laughs> so I, I got rid of the burlap sack. I went to the bathhouse, cleaned up, and got some new equipment and new clothes. And that changed my character from that point on. And listen, guys, if you can find a reason to go to the bathhouse, go to it because the best scenes happen in the bathhouses. Am I right, guys? We didn't get to role play it, unfortunately. <laughs> it was a, okay, I'll go to the bathhouse kind of thing. Aww. I was disappointed. <laughs> Missed opportunity. <laughs> I, w- I will say bathhouses are great. Um, we had a bathhouse scene, I believe, in one of ours. Yeah, we did. Blood and Thunder. There's a bathhouse scene. Uh, yes, there is. <laughs> Rippling pecs. <laughs> yep. The bathhouse yep. is going to be a place where you are going to change <laughs> from a boy to a man. <laughs> Listen, you can't see a cat folk naked and then just not have that change you. Back to the cat folk. <laughs> Listen, does anyone does anyone here actually know anything about cat anatomy? Um, unfortunately, yes. Yes. Do you know what's very special about the just just for a moment, people? We're gonna get a little blues. Anyone know what's what's specific about a cat's uh, reproductive organ? That it's barbed. <laughs> One of the worst words to ever have to be attached to something that's reproductive. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, I kind of want to see that in a bathhouse, but... (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, this is a safe place. To be honest, I kind of want to see it. (laughs) I mean, it just sounds... It's like one of those things. It's like in a car accident. I I can't look away. I have to see it. Same character. Another thing that had to change the character was that... um, like I said, my DM's not perfect. Like, I didn't expect him to construct the story around me, and I actually left a lot of open-ended room for this character. Uh, he, his, his idea was that um, he was mostly going to use daggers, hide them on, under his cloak and things like that, small, light weapons. But during one of the first arcs of the campaign, we ended up fighting a bunch of skeletons. And if you don't know, skeletons are resistant to damage that isn't bludgeoning because you flip through their bones and stuff. So, again, it didn't make sense for my character to still walk around with only daggers because there were skeletons wandering around. So he picked up a, a mace and started walking around with a mace. And even though he was a rogue and his idea was to use daggers, I had to change that. He was still a rogue. Rogues can use maces. That's fine. They could do sneak attack damage. But that idea about my character, I had to change that. Uh, talk to your GM about your character. We talked about this like at the right at the start of the episode because say your, your GM knew that about your guy he might not have thrown a bunch of wealth at you in the beginning maybe he still would have but you know it gives him an opportunity to maybe work around your your character so talk to him let's go over a couple do nots like we went over a lot of do's let's talk about some of the do nots a 
of character making. Do not make a solitary character who doesn't care about anyone or anything. This is a group game, guys. If you have a guy who doesn't like being with the group, don't show up. <laughs> I actually don't have a lot of problems with this one. Most people, you know, do this because we're hanging out as friends and they want to work together. But this can be a problem. Don't make a loner type character. It's okay if they are, but they still have to interact. You're part of a party. You have right. to interact with them. You have to do things with them as well. Right. So I, I also want to add on to that too. Um, this is something that in my in my campaigns, I, if somebody you know starts to do that, I will tell them to rethink their character um, because you. I cannot tell you how many times I've had to deal with somebody that says, you know, going. I think it's I think it's always people that want to play rogues for some reason, but it's always <laughs> I'm a rogue and I'm going to do roguish things. I'm going to hide in the shadows. They come up and they say, I want to stab this guy in the back, and I'm going to slink back into the shadows. And I'm not going to talk to the rest of my party because I'm a rogue, and that's what rogues do. No, get that get that crap off my table. I don't <laughs> want to deal with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I when I did my very first role playing experience, which was with D and D four or five, whatever is right before D and D next. Um, I had the starter edition, and there was like a little opening scenario that you go through with each of the players, and it kind of teaches you how to build a character and how to use your special cards and how to uh, do the um, encounters. Oh, yeah, one of the things they had was, like, it kept giving you options. You know, like, after the goblins attack the cart, do you, A, run after the goblins, B, you know, turn around and go home, or C, do this. And if you pick, like, the turn around and go home, it's like, that's an interesting option, and you can do whatever you want in the game, but your GM probably has something set up with you for the goblins. Maybe you should consider doing something with the goblins. Mm. And it was such a fantastic way to nicely say, you're a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I think there's actually there's a lot of value in kind of like for new players going through a quick little something tailored to kind of teach them some of the common flaws that might happen and get them past it whilst teaching the game. Right. Um, another thing that I would say is try to avoid generic tropes. Um, and what I mean by this is you create a character like I'm going to be Conan the Barbarian in this game or I'm going to be um, Marty McFly, you know, something like that. Unless unless you're running a parody or satire campaign. And the reason that I feel this way that you should avoid it is because when you make your own character, you know, that's part of you and part of this other fantasy thing, it's way more satisfying when you succeed on something than if this fictional character that's already pre-established in another universe, you know, does does whatever. Yeah, I don't think you should use anything from other source material directly ever. Like, no, your character is not literally Roroni Kenshin. <laughs> like you can use other source of material as inspiration to make a new idea that's akin to that, but a it shouldn't be literally the same thing, and it should be far enough apart that like there's reasonable doubt that they're not the same person. Now it wasn't for no reason that you said Marty McFly, and at the time of this recording, one of the m current uh, sessions you're doing is uh, one where you had a player play Marty McFly. But that how did that work out? Right, so. Because, uh, uh, because Softly Speaking Sanskrit is mostly a parody and satire of role-playing games podcast, um, we feel safe in being able to use likenesses of characters in a lot of the stuff we do. Um, so like for this, which is Galactic Championship Wrestling, we decided we were going to add a bunch of base, you know, uh, wrestling tropes and 1980s tropes in there, so we had Marty McFly. Now, at the time of this recording, we just released a new episode, which... Um, one of the matches was Marty McFly got in some trouble, so he got Marty McFly from Back to the Future 2 and Old West Marty <laughs> McFly from Back to the Future 3 to come in. <laughs> now, after that, 
because we are ridiculous and we drink when we play and all that, we decided, well, wait a minute, they're messing with time too much. We're going to have Bill and Ted come in. <laughs> and it's going to be a giant tag. You're ruining match. the episode for me. Oh, no. It. There's, there's not ruining it all. That's, that's like the very beginning of the match. And it, it goes for a good 20 minutes. That's great. Of ridiculous time travel nonsense. That's um, great. <laughs> but be excellent. Uh, wait, there's a do not. There's a do not. There's a moral. <laughs> but I'm going to say this. You know, like like I said before, only use it in a in a parody or satire when you're just messing around. But if you're doing like an actual serious campaign, really, you should avoid it. Just like just like you guys were saying, in that you can use ideas from other characters, you can use different traits from other characters, but try to make your own character too. I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. Um, before, I thought I was not going to agree with you, but now I'm agreeing with you. I, I, I see this um, in a fun, relaxed setting. You can do that because I, I, I have been waiting to find the opportunity where I can be Michael Weston from Burn Notice and narrate everything that I do <laughs> and, like, make him, like, an improv, give him, like, all the feats to, for improv fighting. So, like, every he would never, like, bring in a weapon, but he'd always, like, break off the leg of this chair or do this. Or, like, we have to escape the room then all of a sudden i start going to narration now like now most walls are made out of wood if you're not in a <laughs> if you're not in a town that has a masonry then you know there's not brick behind that wood and all it takes is a little pressure here and i break the wall i take i take a brick and i break uh, i take a, the chair and i hit through the wall and and regulation says that it must be at least four feet through so you can get everyone out of there before the fire gets you <laughs> i want to do this for so bad but it, like as you're saying it, it, you kind of just made me realize but in my mind i'm thinking of a fun campaign where it's going to laugh at that and continue to make jokes in a serious campaign to be like what are you doing <laughs> right yeah you do that in a serious campaign everybody's gonna look at that character like is he mentally ill what's going on right but yeah for a joke campaign i think it's okay it's just you have to find that right balance with with the dm and the players of how jokey do we want this how serious do we want this how long is it going to last? I think that's another thing too. The the longer your campaigns are, the less likely, uh, or the less you should have stuff that's taken from other source material directly. Um, if you're doing something short, like a one shot for the day, you can joke around. I think more with those kind of characters. It almost sounds like you should know your players and know your GM. Are we gonna write yeah, that? exactly. I actually ended up leaving a campaign I was playing online once. Uh, because someone came in with a character that was literally Puck from Dota 2, which is a little uh, kind of insane fairy dragon kind of thing. And it was just so off-putting because we were all very serious characters. And not only was this a character that was straight from another source material, it was a very, very wacky, zany character that didn't fit in with the setting whatsoever. And the fact that the DM okayed that, I was like, this is, I'm not enjoying this. I think we actually see this in Trailblazers. You guys, uh, by now you know that Sergio left the game uh, at a certain point. His character started out as Sergio Flores, the sexy sax guy, <laughs> right? And he did a really good job adjusting to the seriousness of it. Um, like, when we build this character, I made him know, I'm like, this is going to be a serious campaign. Like, if you do really stupid things, there'll be consequences. If you slap the emperor, you can do that, but he'll kill you, right? <laughs> so, like, uh, but even so, like, it just didn't end up being for him because he was playing such a silly character in a more serious world. If you haven't watched Sexy Sax Man Sergio Flores, please do it now. <laughs> no. <laughs> do yourself a, a favor. <laughs> do yourself a favor and click next video when you get to that video. Uh, another one, another do not, do not make the most super badass character who can destroy everything and everyone. I took over a dozen kingdoms. I've killed over 900 da dragons. I am the best. And that all happened in my backstory. Because certainly it won't happen in game. Your character 
character will never live up to that. Never, ever, ever. So don't do it. Because you'd be like, I'm the badass, the most badass guy in the world. How come I can't kill the goblin? You know, I rolled a one. <laughs> Listen, characters eventually roll ones. Yeah, um, and that's something else you have to talk with your GM with because it's just a general power level of how characters should enter the campaign. You know, that might be an acceptable backstory for someone who's in a third level 30 campaign right. where they have mythic tiers. But if you're a level four adventurer, be realistic. You, your adventures should be ahead of you in the campaign. They shouldn't be behind you. Right. Uh, I also want to add into um, something that, as you were talking about, that made me remember a story of what I had to deal with once is when you're making a character, right? Make sure, again, it always comes back to talk to your DM about this stuff beforehand, but make sure that your character fits into this world because I've had times where I run campaigns like um, I ran a hunter campaign once, right? And for World of Darkness and Hunter, it's everybody's kind of average Joe kind of, you know, think about like the TV show Supernatural, right? They're all mm -hmm. just a bunch of guys down on their luck using whatever they can to fight stuff. They don't have superpowers. They're not they're not badasses at all. And I had a player who wanted to be that super, you know, super monster killer. He had, you know, tons of extra weaponry and gear and stuff that a normal person wouldn't have in real life. And it, it became off-putting for both the player and then the rest of the group because they were constantly fighting about, but I should have this, I want this, because it's in the book and it says the book says I can buy this. Mm. But at me as a DM, I was saying no, I'm taking this a little bit more seriously, so you can't have that. And it became a huge conflict. So one of those things when you're creating a character, you know, it's I think it's okay to make a badass character if everybody else is a badass, but you still have to be constantly talking to your DM about what's good and what's not for that campaign. Didn't you have a campaign where, you, where your GM just said, everyone make the most overpowered characters you can make? Oh, yeah, it was... Uh... We were taking a break from a main campaign, and it was just a really dumb, like, one-shot. Uh, the whole idea was a, it was a straight dungeon crawl made to try to kill you, and he said, you know, 25-point buy, no restrictions, make the most stupidly overpowered thing you can think of. You know, go online, look up a guide for how to make a charging cavalier that does 300-plus damage per turn. Do whatever <laughs> you want. And, like, it's not like we were making backstories for these characters. We were just making silly, tropey super overpowered most people were either orcs or like kitsune because you either need to be really strong or have really high saves on your spells right um one do not for me is as a default do not kill off your family and your parents immediately in your backstory comic books have kind of made us think that you can't be a hero unless something tragic has happened in your past and it's uncle ben no <laughs> yeah. Your parents being alive and having brothers and sisters is very healthy, and it's a very good way to get into the world, and your character has a real connection to the world that they're in, rather than being, you know, I'm a level one rogue with no ties to anything, and that's how you get problems like we've talked about, people that are like, alright, I want to do roguish things now, because that's all they have for their character. It comes down to they don't have an investment into the, the world anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, I have actually, to, to kind of uh, play devil's advocate here, I actually started a campaign uh, or a season of a campaign killing off a player's parents. But, like, that was the beginning of the thing, mm -hmm. was that event, which kind of spiraled off the rest of the story. So they're still kind of in it, but they were just in it for a brief time. <laughs> so if he did kill in his backstory, I wouldn't be able to do it. But uh, you can use events like that to create a story. I, I agree with this completely, except for one exception, mm -hmm. which is kill off every character's parents, make them all have amnesia, and, <laughs> and then you have Final Fantasy VIII. That's right! Oh! <laughs> 
give them all heterochromia, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what right. other? Make them all really tall. <laughs> oh, like, good. like it's okay. Like, occasionally give a backstory where one of or your parents may die. That's fine, but it should not be the default. Right. It also shouldn't be the defining thing for that character of why they're there. Of exactly. My parents are dead. No, you're not. You're not Batman. You know? <laughs> or Daredevil. Batman, or no, or no, Green no. Lantern. <laughs> right. Let me get my stacks of comics to pretty much be anyone I pull out. What was going on in the Golden Age of Comics? <laughs> they were actually all written by one guy and his parents died. And that guy's name ended with Lee. <laughs> um, I almost... Do we want to say something like don't make a super zany, like, random character, ooh, look at me kind of thing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that also fits in with don't make a super badass character is don't make a super zany character because it's going to it's going to mess up the party dynamic if nobody else is like that. I think it's one of those... It, it's either everybody's like this or nobody's like this. Right. Right. You can have a campaign where everybody's zany and crazy, and it could work, but you can't just have one person doing that because it's not going to it's not going to make sense. It's going to mess up everything that you do. Oh my gosh! I have the perfect guy that like fits every do not. You can be Freakazoid from the Nickelodeon show. A, you're a real person from the wait. What show? What show? You never heard of Freakazoid? No, I'm sorry. I Andrew? don't watch Nickelodeon. Yeah, he's Dexter Douglas, a computer ace who was hacking on the internet and then he got sent into cyberspace. Yeah. <laughs> He turned into the Freakazoid, super strong and super quick. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so Freakazoid, his inspiration is directly ripping off from somebody, right? He's a zany character that would be like a zany thing that wouldn't be tied to anything else. He's, he fits all the do-nots. That's it, my next character, Freakazoid. Can Freakazoid come over? Yes, he can. But are his parents dead? Oh, I don't know. No, they're not dead. Not Nickelodeon. Kill them all from the backstory. It's uh, okay. yeah, I, can, I can fix it. I can fix it. <laughs> well, see, then you also have to put in Candlejack somewhere. <laughs> somewhere, but sh- main villain. Well, yeah, I already said it, so he's coming for me. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Why does everyone say that about Candle? <laughs> <laughs> bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. All right. Um, all right. So now, just kind of end the show, I kind of want to go around some characters that we've made or have, you know, conceptually made play it as that go over them and then kind of like apply some of the things we've all talked about tell us how we apply to them so i had a guy who was retired from the mafia and i'm like all right cool so that was my that was my source my my idea for when i started carrying my creating my character that was my character and for my stats and then when i was making my stats i'm like i also want him to be like super awesome where he has just a ton of gu- he shoots his guns and then when they're out drops them Instead of having a guy who like invests in a revolver or whatever and have a bunch, so he had like nine pistols on him. Like he hang had him hanging off. Like you know, police have those. Uh, what do you call those holsters? Uh, like the arm straps that go under their arm, right? He has that, but has like room for like nine. <laughs> and he pulls them out, shoots, and then drops them. Pulls them out from behind his back and shoots them. Drops off and pulls out a, a, a blunderbuss from his back and then puts it off in his pocket as a coat pistol, right? He's got all these things, and then that also informed what feats I took because I didn't have to go down the entire two weapon fighting feet because the two weapon fighting feet event gives me iterative attacks well if i throw my my weapon and it only has one shot and i throw it away i don't need those iterative attacks because i can't possibly in a four on action do that uh, fire move and then fire again so also with um two weapon fighting i can move and take out a weapon at the same time so it was my turns could be standard action fire move action move and pick out my next two weapons kind of like reloading but i also get to move <laughs> and so that that whole idea informed it so one idea for my character was I wanted to play a rogue. I wanted to be like a turned thief, a thief who was trying to use his skills in a good way. He comes, I don't know if this is an offensive word, but he comes from what is Pathfinder's version of gypsies. They're called Verizians. They're, you know, they're trained to steal. They ride around in caravans. 
things like that. He was raised as part of a basically gypsy caravan. Stuff sucked. I don't want to go deep into the backstory, but he ended up leaving after a lot of bad stuff happened. And where the campaign took on, uh, where the campaign took place on was an island called a city called Absalom, which is an on an island. So he could escape the caravan, and that's how he got away from it. But since he had a crappy childhood. He wanted, he, he knew he couldn't get that back. Instead, his main motivation was that he wanted to have a family and he wanted to have kids and he wanted to give them the life that he didn't have. So his main motivation going into the story was that he wanted to make the city and the island he was staying on safe. And that's what motivated him throughout the adventures. And, you know, he was using his skills as a rogue for good instead of for, you know, stealing from innocent people and things like that. Mm-hmm. This is a character I mentioned that had to have a lot of flexibility within, within the story. You know, he started off dirty and vagrant got a lot of money, and I had to change that. He then wasn't dirty and vagrant Move on to the next character arc. His father was technically dead, so um, that's a do not. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> he had to have a little bit of edge in his backstory. Uh, he was a sylph, actually, which is the half-air elemental. So I took a couple traits to help flesh out the character. There was a lot of sylph racial traits I could take that kind of have this windish uh, flavor to them. He could fall a certain amount of feet and not take any damage. I made a character that was a barbarian twin of another character. And uh, for him, he was very sheltered most of his life. So his parents were still alive. So I didn't, I didn't break that trope. Um, but he always wanted to impress his bigger brother and kind of show up his twin brother that he was better than him. Um, and, and the way that I came about that is, is uh, both myself and the other player who was my twin rolled stats, and then we looked at whose stats are better in what areas. So my, my stats were, you know, I had a little bit higher charisma than the other one. So I would always try and show off that I'm better with the ladies, even though I always failed because we both had negative stats to our charismas. <laughs> but I always try to show it, like show it off as I'm better than you still. And that's what I did for a lot of his, his character is, um, even though, you know, he, he just, all he wanted to do was show his bigger brother that he could fight and be a barbarian too, like his big brother that went off into a war. But his stats were awful. Uh, so as as he traveled more into the world, into this real world, outside of his hut village, he'd see more things happening in the real world that he was he had no idea about. And so he started forming his own ideas and opinions and started to kind of separate from his brothers, saying, yeah, I'm still, I'm still you know, from this clan, but I also kind of want to make my own life now that I see what's going on. So I use, yeah, because I, yeah, so I use stats to kind of dictate how I interacted with my brothers. Very good. I had a character who I was like, uh, I just looked at, this is actually kind of something, another inspiration, a way you can make your character. I'm a very aesthetic person. I like the way things look. I'll pick the worst of something if it just looks better. Uh, if you ever played Killer Instinct, there's a character named Spinal who looks really cool, and uh, especially in the new one. So I made Spinal. I made a, a look who looked like Spinal. I didn't make the mistake of saying this is Spinal from Killer Instinct. <laughs> um, and I picked him, and like on the guy's shield, he has like a thing that kind of like it looks like it uh, it, uh, it absorbs like people's souls, kind of like as a fatality. I'm like, this is now his entire thing. So Spinal, I picked a template, a skeleton. And then I picked like a shield that could like shoot out projectiles, a special magic shield, I forget what it was called, and just kind of skinned it to be he's shooting out souls that he absorbs, right? So I use those things to create that character. I think something you mentioned is really important that I don't think I've stated out loud yet, but reflavoring abilities to be what you want them to be is a very important aspect. 
you suppose you wanted to reenact that like you didn't literally have to shoot souls out of your shield some people would go with that character idea and be like no i really want to absorb people's souls and right. i want souls to come out of the shield and hit other people right. you took an ability that was already in the game and you know without it really affecting the game you said it's it's going to act like that it doesn't have to literally be the exact same thing but i'm going to flavor it as that's that and i think right. that's a really healthy really good thing to do with characters it's almost enough for us to have a whole episode on but skinning is so powerful skinning is really cool i can't tell you how many times i've skinned things skinning just to define it is taking the ability and making it look like something else while not changing how it actually works oh i thought you <laughs> i thought you were talking about like you know <laughs> skinning the creature. Skinning no 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 <laughs> i was like oh you mean like cosmetics Listen, I mean, you, you mean like buying a skin in league of legends <laughs> so i spent 15 years of my life in upstate new york okay listen i didn't spend that much time <laughs> in upstate uh, another character that i created uh was an elf and i wanted to be a bard and i had a lot of trouble making an elf character because their lifespans are much longer than regular people uh they live i think to 300 or 500 they don't reach adulthood until a couple decades their kids for a really really long time so i was trying to think of how i could make you know a backstory that would fit that within the campaign because i didn't want to have too much in his backstory to stem from the idea was that he had been married to a half orc once he reached elf maturity and if you don't know half orcs have a very very low life expectancy they only live to about 50 or 60 at the oldest so after that person died after his significant other died his thought process from there on that was like my best part of my life is over so i'm going to go ahead and move forward trying to make other people's lives better because i've mm. already done what i um, wanted to do with my life he was just he's gonna be celibate from there on out he wasn't gonna do anything else but try and make other people's lives good mm. and that that's why he, be, he ended up becoming a bard he, uh, a guide actually was helping people move around and things like that and i tried to reflect a lot of his skills with that he was very support based i wanted to help my teammates as much as i could Okay. Uh, this is the person that was also had a bad sense of humor and uh, was submissive in arguments. He would okay. never win an argument. Oh, no, those were both the same person? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. Okay, uh, another one uh, for mine was uh, when, we, when we played the chamber, the way that our characters worked is a character would die, and then the DM would give us a small, a small sheet of paper that says, this is your character's like short-term motivation, and here are his stats. And that's all you'd get. And you'd have to kind of just right on the fly, do something with it, right? Mm. So one of the characters that I had was, he was a pothead. All he did was he smoked weed all the time. And his motivation was, he just needs to get high fives from people. <laughs> if he if he doesn't get a high five, then he's going to lose a stat. He's going to lose a charisma stat. <laughs> if he gets a high five, then his charisma goes up a little bit. That's the best. So for mine, that's that was a short-term motivational goal that I had to use in conjunction with trying to survive this horrible nightmarish, you know, labyrinth of I'm a stoner, so I kind of always want to be high at some point. Um, you know, you work on your backstory of why, how, you know, if, if this character thinks that he's in hell, then why does he think he's there? So my character decided, you know, he got stoned and he accidentally ran over a cat, and that's why he went to hell. Uh, <laughs> and then he's, he's talking about, you know, all this different stuff that he's interacting with, he's trying to survive, but he's also trying to get high fives from people because he wants... He, he just he feels that need in him to do that. And from a, you know, a mechanic standpoint, when he does that, he gets a bonus. And if he doesn't get a high five from somebody, if somebody says, no, I'm not going to high five you, then he loses. You know, it, it hurts him inside. Right. And it also shows he loses a stat from it, too. So that's a, a type of motivation and stat building your character kind of thing. Hmm. How much of a bonus or a penalty was it if he did or did not get the high five? Like, how important was it to the game? 
Um, it was pretty important because every roll that you would do would be based off of one stat roll of the DM's choice, right? So usually it's whatever your highest stat is, um, you would use that, except for like a few different scenarios where you would have to use like a, a strength check to push push something to the side or fight something. You could kind of flavor in how you want to do something so that it would fit that stat. So if you if you failed in your objective, you would lose one point. So you would go from a charisma five down to a charisma four. Oh. So you would you would roll one less dice. And, and which uh, which uh, which system were you using? Um, we were using a homebrew system okay. that we did. We that's usually how we end up doing stuff is we homebrew right. things because we're lazy. We don't want to learn a bunch of stats, <laughs> and we want it to be as you don't easy want to listen to like a whole series of podcasts all about how to play <laughs> one system. <laughs> right. If you, well, if you can memorize all that stuff, that's great. But for us, because we drink all the time and we're always trying to have fun. <laughs> It's hard for us to remember exact yeah. details, and we don't want to look up stuff in the book all the time. So we try and keep it kind of as simple and streamlined as possible. Right. Another character could be like a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Paizo is a fantastic, I think one of the best lore that they've come up with is for their iconic um, alchemist. He is an he's addicted to the alchemy. He's that's why he's taking all these potions in his uh, not elixir, um, mutagen. Mutagen. He's addicted. Like that's such a good thing that that motivates everything for you right just again another one simple concept and now you make your stats on that you make sure okay i'm focusing everything on my alchemist stuff i don't care about skills and all that crap i just want to get this stuff because i need it right uh, one time i was just kind of thrown to a campaign someone dropped out and the dm was like hey um this is happening like tomorrow do you want to join i was like oh sure yeah okay i didn't really have a lot of time to make a character so i asked him what you know what classes everyone was so far and they had like barbarian type character they had a fighter and they had uh investigator roguish type character and i was like okay so we don't have a divine spellcaster we don't have an arcane spellcaster so i decided when i made my character i was gonna fill both those niches <laughs> so uh there's a god called nethys the god of magic i decided to be a cleric of him and also be a wizard at the same time and there's actually a prestige class that lets you do that it's called Mystic Theurge, and it allows you to, you know, level up both your magic levels at the same time. Hmm. So going into it, uh, backstory-wise, was he was from a very poor town, uh, got taught magic by one of his parents weekly, and then left and made a name for himself with magic. Left the poor town, has never returned to it, and he's, as a result, very, very cocky. Very, everything is about magic, he feels. His physical stats are pretty low, to reflect that, like, because he has to have in. He has to have wisdom and he has to have charisma to cast all of his spells and use all of his abilities. So he's really, really cocky. But if he ever runs out of spells, you could probably punch him right in the face and shut him up. <laughs> Thankfully, that hasn't happened yet in the campaign. But it was just it was a very quick character idea that I've been flushing out ever since because I didn't have time to write an extensive backstory. I usually do write like one to maximum of three pages of backstory about a character before I really get into them. I had an idea of I wanted to be a big daddy. If you've ever played Bioshock, it's the, the, the guy who has protects the little girl and he's like super armored, right? But I can't go around being a guy in an underwater marine suit with a drill for an arm. Just can't do it. Unless we do a, some, a lot of skinning. <laughs> so I'm like, what should I do? Um, okay, how about a tower shield specialist? That's Mr. I can take a ton of abuse. Okay, that's what I'll do. A, a tower shield specialist that has a long sword and has a backup battle axe in case he loses his his uh, his 
is tower shield. So all these things started coming up of what how to fix my character to make fit him into this big daddy thing. And then I even worked with another player. I'm like, you're my little sister. You're the person <laughs> I'm protecting, right? So if anyone, so it even kind of like created a character who like didn't talk much, which is usually a big stay away from, but um, would kind of let that the other character who was kind of like a, a gnome, kind of like the whole like super little person, <laughs> big threatening person, uh, would do all the talking and stuff. And if anyone would like touch her or go anywhere near her, be like, get in the way. I didn't have a red light I could light up. That would be cool. But um, that was one, another one of my characters. One of the things that I used to do as a DM um, was I would, you know, I tell the people, you know, I'm going to run such and such a campaign. And then I would give them the incentive of, I will give you extra experience points if you bring me, you know, a couple page backstory on your character. That way it gives them uh, an in-game incentive of either experience points or they could get a certain item if they wanted. And then it gives you as a DM something else to work with and the character, the player has, you know, started thinking about their character a little bit more too. <laughs> That's important to note. They should turn in the backstory to you. I've had a player consistently who makes characters and makes backstories, but never actually gives me anything. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm working with. Sure, yeah, that is an important note. <laughs> this is actually, I think, a, a very common, and there's a reason it's common, because it works so well, uh, thing is using that the carrot instead of the stick. Uh, one of the campaigns I joined, the guy was like, if you bring me uh, a picture of your character and a backstory, I'll give you an extra hero point. A hero point in Pathfinder, if you use the system, you get like an extra plus 20 to a roll. Um, it's like a, it's a resource that's spent a consumable resource. And, uh, and there's another, uh, I, I started out saying, you do this, you give me a, a picture and a backstory. They would get the choice of either Remember, I, that was a very early GM. You're both are going to like shudder as soon as you hear this. They would get a choice. They could either get a very powerful magic item that I came up with. Like the first one was a book that was empty. You pointed at a monster and it would give you all the details on that monster. Uh, or you could level up. Physically shuddering right now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder which one they chose. Yeah. Uh, the, the first guy that did it leveled up and the rest of them just like didn't do it. And he was like outshining them for a while. And then later on we had a dress because I made this problem. I had to fix the problem and it wasn't good. Uh, then later on refined it was, and this actually I think is the best thing I've seen so far, was you turn in those things for me. I will roll on the magic item table and you get one of those magic items just for turning in the story. And that one seemed to work out very well. I had a player who never in a million years ever gave me backstories and he came to me next thing with a backstory because he just wanted to roll on the table one i recently did which actually wasn't successful i think only two of the four or five people that were in the short campaign actually ended up writing backstory was uh once per session or x amount of times per session if you handed in a backstory and you handed in a drawing things like that you would get one re-roll per session like you can force an enemy to re-roll or you could re-roll one dice that you just rolled Unfortunately, that didn't seem to work. But I find backstory is really, really important. And you're, uh, the carrot on the stick usually, it tends to work. Apparently not right. in my case. Maybe the carrot wasn't big enough. I don't know. Well, that's the problem is finding the, the biggest carrot. Like, we just all, you heard like nine different ways right here. <laughs> and so I can tell you from experience, gambling is fun. We live near Atlantic City. Gambling <laughs> is fun. And the gamble of roll on the magic table was was enough to get this guy that I never thought he would do in a million years. So I think that one so far, of all the ones I've seen, is, it seems to be the one that's worked so well. Right. Uh, but it also comes down to kind of conditioning somebody, too, which I'm sorry because I'm using kind of my career as part of this uh, <laughs> idea. But, you know, if you if you get a person to do this so many times, right, and they get these great positive rewards and stuff, eventually over time, they're, they'll just start writing backstories because they enjoy it already. They already... Right feel good about creating these characters and you won't have to give them incentives anymore because they just enjoy making characters. It's one of those, it takes a while 
But once they do it enough, then they start to like it and they kind of understand why it's a good thing to make a character background. Listen, I'm not trying to get you to eat rotten food covered in magnets. I'm trying to show you, hey, there's this really awesome thing you don't know about that helps you and helps me do it. So that's why you're trying to incentivize them. I find it a strange idea that someone needs incentivization to make a backstory. I would never dream of playing a character without a backstory if I was like in a serious campaign. Well, that's the problem, Christian. You just don't dream. I guess this goes back to me being a huge nerd. <laughs> you just need to open your mind's eye and just let yourself go. And then you will find the backstories just come to you. Sure. But yeah, you, you do have to think about there are people that the only reason that they like to play role-playing games is they like to do the dungeon crawl. Right, right, like, right. They're, they're fans of games, you know, like, they want to do, like, a Diablo, but, like, on a tabletop kind of thing. Right. Mm, so yeah, they don't yeah. think about the character, they just want the loot, they just want the money. They, they're expecting a treasure chest in a room at the end because of Skyrim, and there better be a convenient exit out of the dungeon as well. The Roger Cube. <laughs> right, yeah. So, Stay a while and listen. No, so I want to kill this dragon. Which I don't want to say is, like, is a bad thing. That's a totally valid way of running a right. campaign. It's just not one that I personally enjoy. We'll, we're going to talk more in our next series about how to kind of deal with catering to all your, your players. That's something that, that really any GM has to go over. Mm-hmm. As I just said, we're going to be covering this in our next series. This is actually the last episode of our 100 series, which is covering how to play the game. As, yay! As, uh, yay, it's over. <laughs> uh, as players, right? And how to play the game. Now our next series, 200 series, is going to be all about how to kind of GM the game from a GM's perspective. How to deal with different player types. How to make a good encounter. That sort of thing. And uh, we can't wait to show that to you guys. And uh, Andrew, I'm so happy you came. I would love for you to, to guest in another episode in our 200 series. I would love to. I, I'm sure that my DM experiences and ideas are very foreign to many traditionals. Now we need someone with more experience, more varied experience under the belt. I've really only done Pathfinder myself, a few subsidiaries, but mostly stuff in the same vein. And he actually doesn't do a ton of planning. He's somebody that I think is different from you and I, where we do a lot of planning. His is a lot of improv. Right. Right. I basically write a one-page skeletal like flowchart of how I want the entire campaign to go, and then and then that's it. And you just kind of go with the flow, and that's that lasts, you know four or five sessions worth for one page of outline. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on today. Everybody go over to Softly Speaking Sanskrit. You can find them on iTunes. Their website is softlyspeakingsanskrit.com, if Correct. I'm not wrong. Yeah, we're also on Twitter at Softly Sanskrit so, and Facebook at uh, Facebook slash Softly Speaking Sanskrit. I got to know, what's with the name? Uh, you know, we were thinking of something that was supposed to be dark and mysterious. We had no idea what kind of podcast we were going to make, right? So we decided what kind of sound we wanted something that had alliteration and we wanted something that if it was whispered in your ears you'd go insane so we decided if somebody was softly speaking sanskrit into your ears you might go insane (laughs) fits in with a lot of the cthulhu type things you guys do sure yeah that's how we started with lots of cthulhu campaigns and now it's just bizarre crazy out there everything if you got yeah if you guys want to listen to something that is uh more relaxed, not as quite serious as Trailblazers go over to Softly Speaking Sanskrit. They get pretty crazy over there. And it's they a lot do get crazy. It's, it is definitely not family-friendly. We we do use a lot of horrible language, and there's some dark scenarios, so be warned for that. But it's fun. You know, it's it focuses a lot more on role-playing than it does game mechanics. Yep. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming, and thanks for listening to our 100 series, and we'll see you next episode with our new episode 201, How to Run a Session. Thank you all for staying. For extra credit, class is dismissed.
Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. Visit our site for other great Pathfinder podcasts. I've been Nicholas Laborde. Thanks for listening.